again, everyone, and welcome inside another edition of the Adam Jones Podcast, episode 34, presented by the Baltimore Banner. He's Adam Jones over there, not in this country just yet. I'm here in the good old U.S. I'm Jerry Coleman. Today, we're going to be joined by former longtime Major League umpire Tim Cheetah. Somehow, Adam convinced him after all their years on the field to join this podcast. We'll discuss his time dealing with the egotistical ball players of yesteryear and today and we'll also talk about what a fan deserves when they catch a momentous home run ball or at least get their paws on it do they deserve compensation or more we'll sort of discuss that we won't debate it to please dennis weinman but we will discuss it civilly also we'll bring you another edition of socially speaking where we answer a tweet or an email from you, or an Instagram or Facebook post. As always, you can find the podcast at Adam Jones Pod, at Adam Jones Pod on all three platforms. And don't forget, we have a live show coming up at the Baltimore Soundstage. It's July 27th, the first time we will do a podcast, and probably the last time in the same room together after this night. There could be fisticuffs, who knows? But it's at the Soundstage. We'll both be there. Tickets available now. We'll have more in the podcast at BaltimoreSoundstage.com and Ticketmaster.com. It's an off night for the Orioles, and there may be a special guest involved. And speaking of featured guests, let's bring in this week's one. It's former longtime Major League Baseball umpire, the Minnesota native himself, Tim Cheetah, joining us here on the Adam Jones podcast. He's got his Vikings hat on. They're still working. Working on that first Super Bowl, but that'll come one of these days, I'm sure. Hopefully, we'll all be alive for that. Tim, thanks for taking the time. And let me ask you first, you know, a lot of kids growing up wanting to be professional athletes, some less athletic, like yours truly, going to sports casting. Was it always your ambition to be a major league umpire, or where did you sort of get hooked on that? Well, um, nobody grows up dreaming of becoming an umpire or a referee. No one. Uh, you wind up becoming one. You, you, uh, you're kind of a, usually starts off by being a reluctant volunteer. Uh, you're at a game and the umpires didn't show up or a friend of yours needs a helper and he says, come with me, do this. And, and it's usually, uh, usually a fight or flight experience. Usually the first time you do it, you either decide you never want to do it again or there's something about it that you find attractive. That the the competition, being a good umpire, is similar to that of being a player. You you you're competing with perfection. You know you're competing with getting things right on a consistent basis, and you start to watch the game differently. You know you you go to games and you watch the umpires instead of watching the players and see how they move and see how they position themselves and why did this guy go here and there and and then there's 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 a bug, and when the bug bites you, um, you pursue it. I decided to go to umpire school when I was 20 years old, mostly just to hone my amateur skills and come back. And I had the the teacher bug coach, you know, that, or the teacher coach bug, I should say. That's what I really wanted to do. And I finished first in the class at the umpire school, and I was offered a job in the California League. And uh, four years later, I was on NBC. Mr. Cheetah, it is an absolute pleasure. Tim, I know you said. <laughs> uh, did he call you Mr. Cheetah when uh, you were on the field together? Always. He okay. did. Absolutely. AJ was always uh, always one of my faves. He was a true professional. And before we even get going, I'm going to I'm gonna make a bet here that 
I'd be willing to bet that you never got ejected in your career. Ooh. Oh, we're going to get to that one. <laughs> That's, a gonna That's a big tease. That's a big tease. Yeah, it's a big tease, but it's the, the, how it happened. Well, but I bet it was maybe once, maybe twice. No more than that, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, then that's really everybody. Every if you don't get if you don't get jerked once, you're not worth your salt. So that's yeah, goes, yeah that's, very that's, true. That's as good as zero. As far as that. <laughs> that's 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 beautiful. I want to give you your flowers too. Thirteen postseasons, you did three World Series, two All Star games. You called Nolan's seventh no hitter. Or you yeah. called it. Out of all those special moments, being around special players, being I mean in the ballpark in the vicinity of people's first hundredth. The, milestones for a lot of people and umpires yourself sure. what stands out to you is just one of the greatest moments of your person your professional career well i'm sure we share that uh, the, when you first get that call the first phone call mm -hmm. you know that you got to get there you're oh my god i'm going up you know and and uh, i had it i got called at 2 30 in the afternoon eastern time i was in buffalo and i had to get to chicago that night for a 735 first pitch so I, I had to check out of the hotel. First, I had to wash all the suntan oil off my body because I was laying out at the pool when the call came. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have pagers. You know, all you had was that red light beeping on your hotel phone. And uh, so I quick had to shower and check out of the hotel. Then I had to go to the ballpark to get my stuff. And then I had to get to the airport. And I left, I flew, I left Buffalo at 6.30 Eastern time. And I landed in Chicago at 6.30 Central Time. And then I'm O'Hare is a good 45 minutes from the ballpark. So I walked into the locker room at 7.25 for a 7.35 first, first pitch. I had to get dressed in five minutes because we had to be on the field at 7.30. And I had no time to think about anything. And, and uh, they put you usually we usually put the guy at second base when he first comes up. And uh, it was the Tigers who were the defending world champions. And in the bottom of the first, uh, Kirk Gibson tried to steal second with two outs. And I called him out. And it, it really was a pretty wide open play. And, and uh, I called him out. And he didn't say anything and nothing. And I, I walked into center field. And this was the old Comiskey Park. And I walked into center field and I looked up and I saw that big exploding scoreboard. And then all of a sudden the light went on. You know, like, oh, my gosh. You're here. You're in, you're, in the, you're in the big leagues. You're in the show. This is, you know, you just don't think of it. You know, I never ever, when I was in the minor leagues, I never looked at who was going up and who wasn't and where I stood in the, in the pecking order. I just called my next game. That, that's all I ever focused on because that's all you have a control over. So there's always that. Then if, if uh, the next one obviously would have been Nolan's um, seventh no hitter for sure. And then uh, my first event uh, was the 92 All-Star Game in San Diego. And that was really a thrill because um, uh, Doug Harvey, the longtime National League veteran umpire, lived in San Diego. He was working home plate. He is the most recent umpire, by the way, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. And Doug was a San Diego resident. It was his last season. And we're getting to work with him was just a thrill. That's awesome. And then finally, of course, my first World Series in 98, uh, which was a little bittersweet because um, I was supposed to work the plate in the fifth game. 
and it went four. The Yankees swept San Diego in four, but I was thirteen. <laughs> no, it still hurts. Hey, that, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I had first base in that game, and if I had one, I had fifteen just bang bang plays at first. And part of the thrill of that was Dale Scott. He and I worked countless years together in the minor leagues, and we got hired by the American League on the same day, and we worked that series together. It was both of our first, and he was in right field when I was working first, and every time I had one of those close calls, you know, I'd turn and I'd walk back to my spot, and we would look at each other, and he would kind of go, you know, sooner sooner or later, I'm going to miss one of these babies, and we're going to be... And fortunately, I got every one of them right, and and we got off the hook. You know, we we the one thing when you're in those those season those big events, you don't want to be the story. You know, the umpires we don't want to have to insert ourselves. We want it to be about the players. Uh, let's just hopefully get our plays right and not be the controversy. But back then, of course, we didn't have replay. And I had a really, really big call uh, late that ended that the where the Yankees uh, took the lead, and uh, Kevin Brown was covering first, and it was a close play, and O'Neill beat it, and I called him safe, and uh, Brown didn't like it. Well, he never had a temper. No, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. He's oh, mis- yeah, he was very he, loud. He, he was very misunderstood. Yeah. And, uh, um, but. I, I felt good about the call at the time. You know, I liked my position. I liked my distance, my timing, everything. But you don't know. And and so now it's going through your mind, and you can't stop it by thinking, God, I hope I got that play right. Because if I didn't, they are showing it on television right now over and over and over and over. And eventually there was a pitching change in the next half inning, and uh, – uh, Jose Cardinal was the first base coach for the Yankees, and he came over and he, and he said, "Poppy, you got that play right. The replay showed it." He said, "They showed every angle known to mankind." He says, "You got it right." And the relief that you feel from that, just because it isn't about being right, it's about getting it right. We've got more ahead with former Major League Baseball umpire Tim Sheeta. Some very interesting stories. But first, let's hear and let's support our dedicated, loyal sponsors. The Adam Jones Podcast with Adam Jones and Jerry Coleman will be live. And you can be part of the audience and meet Adam for the first time since he played for the O's. It all goes down on Thursday, July 27th at 8 p.m. Doors open at 7 and tickets are limited, but now on sale. Go to BaltimoreSoundstage.com or Ticketmaster.com or call 410 244 0057 to be a part of the action. This will be the first time Adam and Jerry have done the podcast in the same spot. And who knows, maybe the last. So don't miss this unique night. The Adam Jones Podcast, live at Soundstage, July 27th. See you there. The Adam Jones Podcast is brought to you by Be More Around Town. Be More Around Town is reminding you that football season is around the corner. Hashtag Purple Road Trip. Be More Around Town's trips are all-inclusive. Airfare, hotel parties, special guest tours, and more. They're all ready for the Ravens game in London. They have over 300 deposits. Just pack your bags, get your passport, and meet them at the airport. Besides London Calling, Be More Around Town also has road trips for all away games. Arizona, L.A., San Francisco, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Cincy. Head to Be More Around Town and find a hashtag purple road trip for you and your friends and family. Be more around town.com. Buy our good friends at the Weinman Company. 
by Hollywood Casino Perryville. For some, it's a game of chance, but for you, it's a game of choice. Hollywood and Barstool are bringing you more ways to bet in Maryland. Catch all the action in person at Hollywood Casino Perryville at the Barstool Sportsbook or bet online with the Barstool Sportsbook app. When you download the Barstool Sportsbook app, register and wager, you can get up to $1,000 bonus cash, plus up to $1,000 when you sign up and wager in person at Hollywood Casino Perryville. Play from anywhere and get up to $2,000. The choice is yours. Must be in the state of Maryland to wager and over 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. By Jack Daniels, two legends, one can. Jack and Coke, the number one cocktail in the world, is now available in a can. Yes, that's true. Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey, mixed with Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar, are now both available in a can. Two legends, one can. Jack and Coke, ready to drink? Please drink responsibly. Whiskey specialty, 7% alcohol by volume. Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey, Lynchburg, Tennessee. By G-Leaf, medical cannabis only. Visit gleaf.com. Medical cannabis is for qualified Maryland patients only. The Adam Jones Podcast is brought to you by Royal Farms. Download the Royal Farms app from the Apple App Store or Google Play today. New Royal Farms Rewards members will get a free any size cup of Royal Farms award-winning coffee just for signing up. Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. Hey, Justin, keep an eye on the time. It's your night to handle dinner. No worries. Got it covered. It's great getting dinner ready with no worries. That's why I never waste time and go straight to Royal Farms. Their chicken is fresh, never frozen, hand-breaded, and cooked right in the store. Oh, wow, this smells amazing. I'm so impressed. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. The Baltimore Banner is celebrating its first anniversary by making all coverage available for free today, Thursday, June 15th. The Banner will look back at the local stories that made the biggest impact on the community this past year. You'll also get all Banner local stories for free on our app and website, including deeper coverage of the Ravens and the O's. Local stories, local people, local impact. Visit the anniversary event at thebaltimorebanner.com. Now back to more of our conversation with former Major League Baseball umpire Tim Cheetah right here on the Adam Jones Podcast. Hey, Tim, regarding all these new rules that have been implemented for Major League Baseball, they say to speed up the game. Uh, how do you feel about that, the way it's gone? Are you glad you're not a part of it? What are your fellow umpires who are still working now saying behind the scenes about it? And do you fear that maybe robots may replace everyone one day? Um, I'm in favor of the majority of the of the changes. Um, there's still going to be, you know, a learning curve that has to take place as they adjust to all these things. Um, I mean, first the first one replay is is necessary. It, it, it it's just uh, um, for for every reason known to mankind. Um, the the pitch clock, I like it. Those things are good. Um, the one that kind of I, I don't think is really necessary that minimum three batter rule that the pitcher has to do up through the sixth inning. You have to face it. After that, I don't think you should have to do that because that's strategy time. That's matchup time. That's where managers get paid to make their, you know, that's where they make their money. And you Adam, know, you've been saying that for weeks. Oh, 100%. Yeah. There's some things that need to be tinkered for sure. Yeah. I totally agree with you, uh, uh, and that's not going to lengthen the game. That that that's that's still what you know when you get into that that period of time in the game in the seventh or eighth inning. You know that's that's exciting for people. They they don't they're not looking at the clock right now. They're looking at the clock when it's an hour and a half old and you're in the top of the third inning. 
Yeah, that's where the, the game needed a boost. Yes. Now, we used to always say that it was based on the first four innings. If you could get the first four in in an hour, you had a chance at a decent game time. Or at least you had a chance of a game that was entertaining. Most of those things I'm in favor of. I, I, I was really opposed to that extra inning thing, you know, the guy on second base. And I talked to Joe Torre about it at length, and he said, you know, the way they play today, they go 16 innings because everybody goes up there trying to win the game, you know, trying to swing, hit a home run. So you're looking at four, five, six innings of strikeouts and flyouts. And, again, people need to go home. They can't stay there forever. They can't stay there all night. It has created also a little bit of small ball, and all of a sudden hitters are learning how to bunt. My goodness. How about that for a concept, bunting the ball? That, that's – that's been gone for, you know, 25, 30 years. The last big bunt in a baseball game happened in the 92 World Series when Dave Winfield put one down for Toronto, and they ended up driving in the winning run, and they won the, they won the series in six. As far as the robo thing goes, umpire, the, the electronic evaluation system came in when I was – I worked it for my last 10 years. And in the 10 years that it was up and running – I hit 100% accuracy seven times, which is about out of probably 300-plus games behind the plate, give or take. I had a bunch of 97, 98, 99% accuracy. Um, you're, you're talking anywhere between three to six pitches in a game. I don't think that needs to be changed. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think it's a big story. And the umpires today, these young guys have been, they've been raised on this system. Uh, they know, they, they can tell you before they even look at their score the next day, they know what they scored. They, they, they'll, 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 after the game in the, in the locker room, they'll say, hey, that 2-2 that pitch on Adam, uh, I'm going to get burned on that. That was outside. I call it a strike. It's going it's to be wrong. Um, they, they just know. And they know how to adjust. The system that they're talking about is, an umpire is going to be behind the plate. He's going to have an earpiece in, right? So he calls the pitch, calls what he sees. The hitter can go like this and challenge that call if he if he wants to. Okay. So they challenge it. And the guy who's operate the, operating the machine says, Tim, uh, change that to a ball. Okay, let's change it to a ball. All right. First question I ask is how many challenges does he get Secondly, how many challenges does the pitcher get? Because you got it's got to be fair both ways that way. And how much did it miss? You know, and, and to all listeners out there, these these pirate uh, websites that are out there that are evaluating umpires' performance from last night, which have nothing to do with Major League Baseball, they're just these these computer geeks that that have their own thing. Um, they're not using any type of sophisticated electronic analysis. The average major league umpire today scores 97%. And that's the other part about this system that's backwards is the better the pitching, the harder it is to score because you have no margin for error. But if you get a game that the pitchers are struggling and you've got 260, 270 pitches, you can actually be worse and have a higher score. So no system is perfect. The solution for problem A can create 
problems B, C, D, and E, and now you've got you're you're not getting anywhere. I I think it's I think it's good where it is. I hope they don't mess with this. Um, I just I don't see the advantage. The machine itself is not 100% accurate either. And as Andrew can tell you, you know, it, it is physically possible for a, a curveball to come in and pass through the strike zone and bounce. We always just say that you can you can claim that that's a strike all you want, but it's not acceptable. And if you start calling that pitch a strike, you're going to need a bodyguard and, you know, <laughs> anything else to get yourself out of there. They will not accept that, okay? Right. So the machine's going to call that. You're going to call it a ball. The machine's going to call it a strike. The plate umpire's responsibility now is to correct the machine. He's correcting the machine that is used to correct him. So when do you use it? When do you not use it? Let's just go with the human being that's back there. And the other thing that has occurred that's kind of irritating to me is all these all these telecasts have that box. They all have their own box. They all have their own system, and which one are you going to use? ESPN thinks theirs is the best. TBS thinks theirs is the best. Fox thinks theirs is the best. All these Bally sports places, okay, you've got to decide on one. And even the broadcasters are jumping on board. Oh, that's clearly outside. Clearly? That's clearly outside? Let me tell you something, how close that pitch is. You know, they're not calling pitches the strikes that you can't hit, right? Right. You know, it, but and even then, the strike zone today is smaller than it's ever been. Smaller than it's ever been. Adam Jones would hit probably thirty points, forty points higher if he played today. Time to come back, brother. Time to come back, man. Oh, his eyes just lit up there. Come back. I was just at an event with Rod Carew, and and I told him the same thing. I said I see film clips of back when I was umpiring when you were playing, and the pitches that we called strikes are absolutely unexpected acceptable today and and the hitters the hitters now don't they don't believe anything i mean you call a pitch on the corner they're rolling their eyes and they're looking away thinking that the ball is in the other batter's box you know and it's not it's it's right here or it's even a strike you know and and they think you know that they're they're getting the raw end of the deal it's a bunch of it's a bunch of hooey but as, as a player we know that uh you know the robots are going to come. We're going to end up, the players are going to have some sort of technology at the major league level calling balls and strikes. And this leads to ejections and how this is going to work because you were known for one of the best uh, ejections to Mattingly, the great meme. You got us tonight. I don't know what he said. And I want to get into what does it take yeah. for, again, a player or a manager to really get tossed? We know arguing balls and strikes. We know that that is that I think that's weak, obviously. Sure. But what do you really need to say to, to get the boom? The boom? The boom? Well, you're, you're, you can – I always say it this way is the best way. You can say anything at all about the call that I render. I mean, if you want to say – and I've heard it. You know, I've been in that game for 37 years, and that's the worst bleeping call I've ever seen. And, you know, as far as I know, you might be right. I don't know where you've been for 37 years. I don't know what you've seen. But if you tell me that I'm the worst umpire you've seen in 37 years, you're gone. The word, the key word is you. You is when, when, a, when a guy is arguing any judgment call, as soon as he says you, that's when the umpire's ears perk up and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you go, you, you what? You what? And you, this, that, or the other thing, you're gone. 
that, 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 that's the, that's the magic word. Um, I, I've only had, I was trying to go through, I, there is a statute out there somewhere, a saber thing or whatever. In my career, I had like 110 ejections. My numbers are skewed because I did have one game that was the, the, the never ending brawl where I had to eject 13 guys because they just kept fighting, and I just kept getting guys for fighting and fighting and fighting. But, so it's right around 100. But the other ones are when they start to argue, you know, and you say, All right, and you listen, I'll listen. I'll hear, you know, I'll listen to you. Now, if you start to go along, you start to repeat yourself, all right, that's where, and I tell young umpires all the time, don't paint yourself into a corner. Don't, don't say things like, one more word and you're gone. Or, you know, because now, now you're, you're, locking your own hands always mm. say i've heard enough i don't want to hear anymore the first time you tell them i've heard enough they didn't hear you so but okay and the thing is with the respect factor of the umpire player relationship when i was coming up obviously you don't go to you don't go to guys like yourself jim uh, joe west you don't yeah. go you don't get in there with mr west and uh just think you're gonna get in the batter's box he'll stand out there like that but <laughs> how do you handle how, how would in terms of the, how would you handle today of these young kids that come up they're good so again like you said they see this off the plate and they're like ah how do you right. handle that even though they're still young in the game and they're not the trout harper machado where they have the accomplished resume to where they can have a few extra words you spend your entire life as an umpire developing your reputation and the reputation you want is he works hard. He hustles. He tries to do a good job. You can talk to him, but you can't mess with him. And those those are the qualities you want to demonstrate every time you go out there. And the players come up a lot quicker than they used to. So they and the umpires the same way. They don't get to know each other in the minor leagues like we used to. Richie Garcia taught me early in my career. He said, "Don't think that they don't notice." Because they do. They they see, and I'm talking about players, they see guys that that care about it, that, that, you know, don't go out there and try to make it look easy because there isn't anything about it that's easy. And then you have to demonstrate and show that whatever happened last night was last night. And if I eject you in the seventh inning today, it, it's over. It is over. You can go into the clubhouse. You can hit the spread early, shower, do whatever you got to do. And I will see you tomorrow night at 7.05. We're going to get to Adam's ejection coming up. Who was the worst? Now that you're retired, who was the worst person in the Orioles organization you ever had to deal with? I can't even remember his name, uh, but he was a uh, stadium operations guy that failed to give me an accurate weather forecast one night and the Yankees were in town and I was left dealing with rain over my phone and it was, it was Heather, it was Heather, Nikki, Nicole, the, Nicole. Uh, the ground, groundskeeper. it was her first year. So he was beaten up on her and this guy was, was, he knew nothing about rain. He knew nothing about baseball. He knew nothing about, he didn't understand the fact that we have to work in concert here to get this game in. And there was three different times that, that he made us look really bad. And finally, the third time, it poured. And she came up to me and, and, and I said, where have you been all night long? What the heck's going on here? You know? And she said, can we go talk somewhere? 
I said, absolutely. So we went up the tunnel where we enter the field right behind the plate at Camden. And she was almost in tears, but not in a bad way. You know, she was just angry. She said, I have been trying to talk to you all night long, but this idiot will not let me do it. <laughs> that was the one guy. As far as players go, um, the Orioles were a lot more difficult to work when, when Earl was managing. Um, uh, the, t- the two that were that if they didn't swing, it was a ball uh, were uh, Eddie Murray and uh, Doug DeSensis. Uh, they, they, you, you couldn't call a strike on them unless it was right down Broadway. If it was marginal, they'd no, 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 no. That's a ball. That's a ball. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you were, I was young with those guys when they were veteran players. And eventually Eddie and I became, our relationship changed. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't manage somewhere. I, I, I was, they were kind of grooming him. He was a bench coach and a hitting coach, and and Shapiro, his agent, was kind of trying to, you know, lead him down that path. But I, I guess he just he just didn't want it. Um, yeah. So I gotta show you. I gotta show you my ejection. It's my first ejection. You got the video. We got the video. Oh, baby. Who were you playing for, Seattle? I was in Baltimore. It was it was the day before my tenth. Uh, service year, day before I kick in 10 That's five. a long time, man. Yeah, and it was a backdoor curveball, Drew Pomeranz. I'm forgetting the umpire's name. I should have did more research on that. And I was like, that's a ball. She's like, no, I should strike. I ended up striking out the next pitch. And I even walked back, had some choice words. I did say, you, MF. That was yeah. a bad call. Yeah. Quick going, and then he let me have a couple more words. Buck came out there. And I'm still letting them have it, but I remember every word you said. I've had enough. I've had to be repeated that over and over. Buck came out there. You mother, but I had enough. Buck, I'm gonna throw you out too. He's like, all right, and goes back. But in this thing you also said though is that certain TV cameras be having certain angles. So if you watch the replay of it, is the Nesson camera that had it. So if it was a Masson camera, it probably would have had a more favorable call to me. Jim, my last question for you is: with this proliferation, we're seeing with gambling and all the sports leagues now, uh, kind of hypocritical. I mean, I'm sure you had your time with Pete Rose, what a peach he was, but do you think that there is a concern going forward where we saw with the NBA and Tim Donahue of something like that occurring in major league baseball? I, I, I fear it. I think it's a very, very bad precedent. I think it is, it does nothing good, nothing good. You know, baseball should, if anything, should be denouncing this. They should be denouncing that, not not encouraging it, not getting in the bed with these people. They're, they're gamblers. Hey, Tim, we really appreciate you taking the time here to join us this week on the podcast. It, it was very informative, a lot of terrific stories that we have never heard before. So very grateful for you being here. Well, I uh, it, it, it happened to be because, you know, one of my all-time favorite players invited me. Why is he one of your all-time favorite players? Nice I mean, guy, man. Because he's a good dude. He was a great player, for one thing, and and he let us do our job. Uh, that was our. That okay. was, that's how we evaluate players and managers. Is he lets you work? That's what we say. If that's an umpire speak, he lets you work. He lets you do your job. If he's got something to say, he'll say it. And he'll say it fast. And he moves on. All right. We've taken up enough of your time. Again, thanks for being here. uh, Best of luck to you down the road. Fun over there, you guys. Anytime I'm, you know, if I'm not playing golf or with my grandchildren, I got time for this. All right. Sounds good. Well.
Good to see you. Thank you. All right. There he goes. Tim Cheetah joining us here on the Adam Jones podcast. Really good to get an umpire's perspective on the game, Adam. And, uh, you know, I mean, you two have a relationship. Obviously, he likes you. I don't know how he feels about every player in that fashion, but you earned his respect. I mean, I learned from from veterans how to treat umpires when I was coming up in spring training. So that was an easy thing. And also, I had he how he talked about it. He had Showalter and he had other uh, guys coming up with Madden. Uh, my umpire was Corey Blazer. Uh, we came up together. His first year umpiring was 04 in the Midwest League. My first professional year, full year was 04. And um, I remember going out to a restaurant and he was there and just we were just talking because it was after the game. And I'm 18. I think of course a couple years older, 23, 24 maybe. And just talking, but again, professionally, and um, we've worked up the ranks together, and he's still a professional umpire uh, in a major league. So those kind of stories of, you know, growing up with an umpire, growing up with a player, you know, it, that was my guy that uh, I really grew up with. And every time we seen him, it was like a little bit more than just what's up because, you know, we, we were with each other on the Chitlin Tour is what we call it. All right, time to move on, Adam. Our next segment is Baltimore and Beyond, where you're always. And right now we're going to talk about this ongoing conversation, negotiation, the relationship between the players and the fans has always been an interesting dynamic. But now we're talking about memorabilia and specifically when a player hits his first major league home run uh, or hits a momentous home run like Gunnar Henderson just the other day hit the longest home run onto Utah Street in Camden Yards history. What happens with that baseball if a fan is able to obtain that now? You don't ordinarily see this in other sports. It's kind of unique, really, to baseball. I can't think of another sport where it's an issue. Darren Ravel put out a tweet on handle of the situation. Uh, he said, after catching the home run ball, you should ask for it to be authenticated by MLB. Value is solidified by that action. Have an idea what the ball is worth. And then go ahead and ask the player in exchange for that said ball. You get something in return, like a home run bat, a glove, maybe have them sign something in lieu of money because some, some fans will ask for straight cash, homie. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, fans will ask for a lot of things and you know, there's times where you can uh, put a fan in a, a person in a bad situation by giving them so much that they get screwed by the taxes. You can, really <laughs> do that. if you really want to be greedy, a player can really do that and put you in a bad tax situation. But um, no, I think that it, it's, there's margin. I, I like what, what Ravel said. Obviously, first thing you do is get it authenticated. Number one, um, understand the value. You can look it up online, but it depends on the player. And I think situations furthest yard, furthest home run in Camden Yards history. That's a pretty important ball that does not need to be in someone's basement. That says longer. That needs to be in Camden Yards Hall of Fame or in Gunnar Henderson's treasure at his at his house. But I, I think it should be an organizational ball. Now, if it's his hundredth home run ball, that's a ball that's moment that's very important to him. That's very important to him. There's fair trade. There's always fair trade. But to add somebody, I want $10,000. I want this. That doesn't work. But a sign bat, jersey, some tickets, meet and greets, that, that is easy. Like, come down, that is easy. A 60-second ball, like Judge last year, that is a American League record home run ball. That is an unattainable value that that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing to get. I understand that situation. Um, but it's just gotten out of hand to where they think that everybody thinks that they can just come and say, look at player, I want this, this, and this for this ball. And like, I, I played with a guy, Greg Dobbs, who hit his first home run in the, in the big leagues. And he was like 26, 25, 26 when he hit his first home run. And the fan was like, nope, this is my ball. Like, bro, 
Like he's not a twenty year old that's gonna hit way more. He's like he, means nothing to that fan. Nothing to and it was a home game. I was lucky. I hit mine on the road in Texas in the front row right field, and I heard the crowd go, Yeah. And because they threw the ball back on the field. And I look back and they wow. just kept throwing the ball back. You can see in my in my when I'm rounding third base, I'm like looking back and I see the ball. I'm like, oh hell yeah. Like I get I didn't have to do nothing. So I know there's a lot of people that value a lot, uh, that kid De La Cruz and, and a lot of other people. It means so much more to this player than it does you. Meet and greets to be able to say what's up to him, pictures, autographs, that is all great. But second, you should be like, oh, I need ten thousand dollars, I need fifteen, I need this. The player should to should uh put you in a real bad financial situation. Well, that's why I would ask for nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars <laughs> the IRS out of it, and maybe a few extras involved. But what do you think is going to happen when Jackson Holiday hits his first home yeah. run, especially if it's not at Camden Yards? That's going to be momentous, and he's going to want that hardball. Well, right now it's just it's just the market, and a friend of mine that uh, we're going to have on our podcast soon is an expert in this field, and he knows, and he texts me texts me all the time about what other players are doing with their cards and their card collections. As you know, there's a lot of other players that like this kind of that like the nerdy card thing that you did with your dad, and then but now there's an actual value to it. You know, so many people that had thousands of cards with their dad, them cards ain't worth nothing, but now. There's a lot of cards that are worth a lot. And, you know, you see celebrities doing it. You see Drake doing it, uh, Ben Baller. You see so many uh, celebrities that are in the card game right now. And uh, baseball, I think baseball cards are number one because and there's so many things that go on. They got thousands of them with the one of ones of different projection and just so much. And when Jackson gets up there, everybody's going to try and watch him because He's a high prospect. He was a number one pick, same with Drew Jones and same with a lot of other prospects because it's a value to it. Even if it's ten, fifty, dollars uh, $100,000, somebody will always try and do something for money. You better hope someone throws it back. I, I never yeah, have been a yeah. fan of that. I, I think Not in today's society, buddy. No. All right. Well, that'll be interesting when it occurs. Gunnar Henderson, by the way, in return for the fan who retrieved his ball Gave away two autographed bats, which is a pretty good deal for Gunner. Good for him. I think that's amazing. And in, in the today's market of bats, here have all the bats you want. We got like eighty back there. We'll make you more. Want, you want five? Yeah, exactly. Here's your outfit. Outfit your, your team. Bats are easy. Gloves, cleats. Gloves number one. You're not getting a fielding glove. Hell no. That's a no. That's just just zero. Because I didn't have them. I, like I had them, but like they were very precious. Ba uh, cleats. Yeah, you can have cleats. There you go. All right. It's yeah. settled then. You gotta be All right, let's move on. Put a bow and tie on this bad boy with another edition of Socially Speaking. This is where we answer a tweet or social media post for Adam, and you qualify for a Miss Shirley's gift card. You can find us on social media at Adam Jones Pod. It's very simple. You can also go on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast. You also qualify for a Miss Shirley's gift card. Jackson, our social media coordinator solicits all the responses from all mm -hmm. the platforms. And he came up with this tweet from at Robert Sawyer 410. So he's in the 410 area code. And this question is for you, Adam. He asks, who is your favorite up-and-coming young player in today's game? It could be any team, including the right. Orioles. Right. Um, it's hard to just pinpoint one because I love watching I love watching uh, baseball. So I'm a fan of all teams. I'm a fan of the players. So I want to see people succeed. Obviously, I love Gunner. I love his size, strength, uh, athleticism. Um, I like Michael Harris down in Atlanta. He's he's a stud. I uh, see Acuna gets all the get, gets the notoriety, but I'm a favorite center fielder a little bit more. Uh, Pena in Houston, 
I mean, comes comes and replaces uh, a franchise player, and he comes and replaces him with becoming the World Series MVP. That's not easy to do. Um, obviously, Julio Rodriguez is an Adonis playing for the Mariners, like an in-center fielder, as you see my trend, and um, a Rosarina. Like, and I, I know he's not – he came because, what, 2020 was his rookie year, and but – I don't know. He's, he's young to me, but he, whatever he does, it's it's infectious throughout that clubhouse. And I don't know what it is, but it, whatever, keep it going because it is that's energy that is quiet energy too. It's like round up in a ball that because he he's not outspoken. He just and I I, I like that. You know what I mean? He's a joy to watch, no doubt yeah. about it. All right, that about does it. Please go out and support our dedicated sponsors like the following. The Adam Jones Podcast with Adam Jones and Jerry Coleman will be live, and you can be part of the audience and meet Adam for the first time since he played for the O's. It all goes down on Thursday, July 27th at 8 p.m. Doors open at 7, and tickets are limited, but now on sale. Go to BaltimoreSoundstage.com or Ticketmaster.com or call 410-244-0057 to be a part of the action. This will be the first time Adam and Jerry have done the podcast in the same spot, and who knows, maybe the last. So don't miss this unique night. The Adam Jones Podcast, live at Soundstage July 27th. See you there. The Adam Jones Podcast is brought to you by Be More Around Town. Be More Around Town is reminding you that football season is around the corner. Hashtag Purple Road Trip. Be More Around Town's trips are all-inclusive. Airfare, hotel, parties, special guests, tours, and more. They're all ready for the Ravens game in London. They have over 300 deposits. Just pack your bags, get your passport, and meet them at the airport. Besides London Calling, Be More Around Town also has road trips for all away games. Arizona, LA, San Francisco, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Cincy. Head to Be More Around Town and find a hashtag purple road trip for you and your friends and family. Be more around town.com. Buy our good friends at the Weinman Company. Buy Hollywood Casino Perryville. For some, it's a game of chance, but for you, it's a game of choice. Hollywood and Barstool are bringing you more ways to bet in Maryland. Catch all the action in person at Hollywood Casino Perryville at the Barstool Sportsbook or bet online with the Barstool Sportsbook app. When you download the Barstool Sportsbook app, register and wager, you can get up to $1,000 bonus cash, plus up to $1,000 when you sign up and wager in person at Hollywood Casino Perryville. Play from anywhere and get up to $2,000. The choice is yours. Must be in the state of Maryland to wager and over 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. By Jack Daniels, two legends, one can. Jack and Coke, the number one cocktail in the world, is now available in a can. Yes, that's true. Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey, mixed with Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar, are now both available in a can. Two legends, one can. Jack and Coke, ready to drink? Please drink responsibly. Whiskey specialty, 7% alcohol by volume. Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey, Lynchburg, Tennessee. By G-Leaf, medical cannabis only. Visit gleaf.com. Medical cannabis is for qualified Maryland patients only. The Adam Jones Podcast is brought to you by Royal Farms. Download the Royal Farms app from the Apple App Store or Google Play today. New Royal Farms Rewards members will get a free any size cup of Royal Farms award-winning coffee just for signing up. Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. Hey Justin, keep an eye on the time. It's your night to handle dinner. No worries. Got it covered. It's great getting dinner ready with no worries. That's why I never waste time and go straight to Royal Farms. Their chicken is fresh, never frozen, hand-breaded, and cooked right in the store. Oh, wow, this smells amazing. I'm so impressed. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. 
The Baltimore Banner is celebrating its first anniversary by making all coverage available for free today, Thursday, June 15th. The Banner will look back at the local stories that made the biggest impact on the community this past year. You'll also get all Banner local stories for free on our app and website, including deeper coverage of the Ravens and the O's. Local stories, local people, local impact. Visit the anniversary event at thebaltimorebanner.com. Also want to thank senior executive producer Chip Franklin, a thinking man. Whatever he's thinking, though, is anyone's guess. Uh, we, you know, we, we take our guesses here and there. Also, go out and get tickets for our live podcast July 27th at the Baltimore Soundstage. It'll be the only time we do a podcast, at least in this calendar year, in the same room or the same space together. Tickets <laughs> on sale right now. And until next time, be kind, be real, and be back for another episode of the Adam Jones Podcast. Oh,